And as I call in the east, I walk into the stream. And as I call in the south, I bring water to my mouth. And as I call in the west, the creek swallows my chest. And as I call in the north, I am swallowed by her source. Hello everyone and welcome to Rio Cosmico, a podcast about healing. The Rio Cosmico podcast is brought to you by Rio Cosmico Homestead, our seasonal ceremonial microvillage and library of earth magic. I'll be your host, Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman, and as always, gracias, hahom, goramayagat. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. It's me, Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman, and this episode is part two of a two part interview with visual alchemist, art and family therapist, seed keeper, and storyteller, Zena Carlota Pearl. If you haven't already, we strongly encourage you to listen to the first half of the conversation, Elements of Culture as Vessels for Memory. If you are listening in order, awesome. This conversation will make a whole lot more sense to you that way. And as always, thanks for listening. I see you as such a multi-talented person. And so there's just so many different directions that we could go in. I think what I'm most curious about is what you're most excited about and what you're creating in life right now. Right now, it feels like story is really important in my life. And that really is like, that's a bloodline that runs through how I make music. It runs through how I make art. It runs through how I write. And it also informs what I choose to learn and the ways that I choose to learn it. So writing has been important. Documenting stories that I know can't be taken from me. So Mm. I think about that as like as a person who's creative, like as an artist. I feel like I've been excavating stories and memories that are so specifically mine or my family's that like I don't have any fear that like somebody else is going to do that thing or like you know somebody can else is going to take it or they're going to get to it before me like there can't be a a sense of competition when something is like when it uniquely Mm -hmm. like belongs to me and my family and so Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm feeling a sense of security and even like in going slower in creating and not feeling a rush sense because I'm like this is ours and nobody's going to get to it before me And so that's been happening in terms of, yeah, just like I've been writing about my grandmother and like, and getting my hair braided when I was a little girl, which used to happen every morning. And my, my grandmother like fermenting like pear wine and honey wine and like big jugs on, on her porch from Mm -hmm. food that she would pick in her garden. And I've been making art to like, to correspond to that. And so like making, making visual imagery that for right now, what's been most important is kind of honoring the legacy of Black people's relationship to land. I feel like my journey in the last like four years of actually, of coming into like a, a, a kinder and like more generous and respectful like relationship to land has been really important. And 
I feel like that's something that's been really like deconstructed for us. Like as as black people, the history of our relationship to land is like is so violent and with forced labor and, and prison labor and so and slavery, a sharecropping. So like those histories are kind of like those are the threads that bind our relationship to land. And so like learning how to like take each one out like one by one and kind of like rethread it and reweave it in a different way. So I feel like I'm doing that right now, like through through writing and story, and then also like through through image making. That feels most important. I'm also like deepening my relationship to like to plants and plant medicine. And so I just I started this like alchemical herbalism program and studying alchemy and astrology and like esoteric traditions as they relate to plant medicine. Those feel like the strongest threads in my life right now. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate the way you described approaching, you know, you use the word deconstructing. And I really like that word because sometimes there's in polarity reality, there's like the creative forces in the universe and the destructive forces in the universe. And it's just like, I don't actually meet, I, I don't know. I've, I've never met destructive force i felt i've met many like less semi or unconscious deconstructive energies so you know they just don't know who they are maybe and so they're serving unconsciously but things do need to come apart and mistakes happen and problems and and snafus and karmic hairballs as i like to call them they, they happen uh when we come together and we're just continuously trying to come together so i uh, really like the the word weird because that was one of the first you know ways that I was attempted to be tucked in was like you're weird you're weird you're so weird so learning what that is you know the w-y-r-d the weird sisters it's fated destined of destiny of relationship to destiny and that what the weird sisters are doing is weaving reality and so I, ha I have learned and am continuing to learn weaving. I have two different looms and two different skills that I'm practicing in order to understand the nature of reality and the nature of healing better. And so what I've learned is weaving is hard. It looks like you just put the thing back and forth and it's rhythmic, but it can only be that once you like understand all of this really technical things about like the order of the threads and terms and it's very kind of mathematical to set up the loom and then you just fly and so if you're just new at it or trying to change colors or trying to figure out how to make a circle on a, a thing of straight lines you just make all these mistakes and the threads can get so tangled and they're expensive. And, and, you know, you can't just throw it out or you just like lost a lot of time and money. And that's like each of us were each very expensive thread in this weaving of reality that took like thousands of generations and so many ancestral resources to make. And so when we get into a traumatic entanglement, there are proportionately fewer people that have the skill set to untangle and reweave as opposed to just people who are identified with creating 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 and oh i didn't like it i threw it out next 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 and so one of the 
things I'm most proud of in my life is from when I was in kindergarten, I earned a nickname called super not empire. And it was because there was little ties on the edge of, of the sheets that we used to go over the cots for nap time and people would get them so tangled they couldn't get them off and I could always get them off no matter what they had done and as a jewelry designer (laughs) when all the chains for an order that was like two thousand dollars got tangled in the mail and I'd have to sit and untie it it's always been there and what I've learned is exactly what you said about how you have to just like take the one thread and just follow the one thread through the whole thing and once you get one out, it gets easier and easier and easier. And then at some point, this just all comes loose and falls apart. And that that's what we have to do with our traumas of our cultures in order to have those resources, because they're still here. They're just tied up in these processes. And so just anytime that someone gets one thread out, then you you make the process easier for yourself and for everyone else. And like, this is, you know, there's lots of different healing modalities and ways, but this is definitely my vision that guides what we're doing here. So I love that you put it in those terms. It made me yeah. happy. the act of like storying our life and the mm. lives of people that came before us and the lives of people that like that will come next and creating enough spaciousness to be able to consider that it could be different that those relationships could be different that the trajectory can be different that the momentum mm. can be different yeah I think I want to highlight that I know that just the nature of creativity in general and being active in this time and in, in using our creativity to dream ourselves outside of white supremacy and colonialism is part of what is on your mind and what is is moving you. And I just I want to highlight the way in which everything you just shared is a description mm-hmm. of what that looks like for you. Because I think in the past I might have just heard you speaking and felt you and been like, yeah, this is great. I resonate with what she's saying, but I wouldn't necessarily have had a clear impression that you were speaking about dreaming ourselves outside of white supremacy and colonialism because my history had been like the school that I worked in was an ACORN school. ACORN is a really big social justice organization. So I had a background in social justice and I didn't understand that that wasn't the same as learning an anti-racist lens mm. like so i i didn't ever think that i needed to go over to those groups or those uh, people who were, were talking about undoing racism and talking about anti-racism because i just felt like I'm, I'm in it i'm in my spot i'm doing my thing and 2020 showed me that that was just not true that there is information being refined in those spaces and language and vocabulary that's very powerful and that if we haven't taken the time to learn what is being cultivated in other groups around us that we don't understand each other when we're talking. And so if people spoke about 
anything, uh, anti-racism, undoing racism. If you had said to me, dreaming ourselves outside of white supremacy and colonialism, like three years ago, I wouldn't have understood it in the same way that I do now, because I was still in that framework of like, I'm not racist, so this doesn't apply to me. And now I understand that in a way, the people who are really doing the work, maybe I don't even care if you're like, they're not sitting around saying, are you a racist or not a racist or prove it? They're like, there's work to do. And this is how we do it. Are you with us? And that work for me, like, I couldn't really understand the ask until I understood this idea of manifestations of white supremacy. Because if Mm -hmm. someone wanted to talk about that, I just, I would have gone to that, like, well, you're not racist and I'm not racist. So what are we talking about? Uh, And now I understand that things like what you were describing around feeling an urgency around your art and feeling like you had to get to it first before someone else did. And these kind of things that any artist can relate to. And we just think this is part of the like bag of challenges that artists need to figure out around our self-esteem and our owning our rhythm and whatever, but don't necessarily have the thought this is part of the indoctrination of white supremacy that I feel Mm -hmm. this way. And so I, I just wanted to take a moment to kind of break down a way that I would have heard your share before and a way that I hear your share now is directly relating to how you are undoing some of, of the internalized manifestations of white supremacy within yourself and then embodying that energy so other people around you can feel like I'm going slow. I am going at a pace that's sustainable for my body. I'm moving at a pace that allows me to enjoy this exploration and be richly fed by it versus just producing something from it and feeling nothing or feeling less than I could be in the process. I have so much to say about that. Yeah. (laughs) What it makes me think of are, and all of this has to do with like with our own creative process and our ability like to create beauty in our lives for ourselves, for our families, our communities what it reminds me of is the ways that we are really initiated into these hierarchies of like acceptance and of worthiness and of value and all of that, like that's white supremacy culture. It's also, it's, it's colonial culture. It's capitalism. In my own life, I am continuously doing work around this idea, which is we're initiated into this culture of competition and of, trying to connect ourselves to like this sense of like value that what we are creating has value to other people, has visibility, is worthy. And I feel like colonial culture does this, capitalistic culture does this, white supremacy culture does this, where as as people who are creating, as people who are trying to connect to the divine, like through through what we're weaving, Yeah, I just feel like as artists, we are really, we're taught to like to fear competition. We're taught to create a hierarchy in our minds of like, if if our art is worthy or if it's not worthy, like if it has value, if it doesn't have value, if it's allowed to belong or if it needs to be left out, if it's allowed to be visible. 
or if it's it's excluded and it's kind of like there's a history of who gets to decide like what we create mm -hmm. if it's worthy enough of being seen and so I feel like that spirit of competition is really right. a part of that where we're we're convinced that there's like this really one-dimensional linear way like for us to create I guess what I'm wanting to say is this idea of like dreaming ourselves outside of white supremacy, outside of colonialism, outside of capitalism. For me, I think what it means is to like assign our, our creations a sense of inherent value and not using like the outside metrics to like to validate it or to affirm it or, or to allow it to belong. Being willing to go slow, being willing to keep things to myself for as long as I need being willing to tell my stories or the stories of my family or my ancestors without feeling like I need permission to do that or wondering if it's going to be worthy of like of, of being visible. Mm -hmm. So th those feel like really important aspects for me of like how I'm creating lately and like, and how I'm, I'm dreaming lately. And then I think another important part of that process is also understanding that like ancestrally, I know for me and I imagine for you and many other people listening is that what we create and what we conjure together individually and like and collectively, it has a purpose outside of performance. So like mm. the idea I feel like because of capitalism and like and and all of these things like institutionalized creativity where it's things go to museums and they're put in art spaces and things are put on display and they're really taken out of the communities and the cultures that they were born in and they were birthed in and it becomes a sort of a like of a performance whereas within our communities with the in the context that these things were born within the context that these foods were cooked and these dances were created and these songs were songs like there was and there is a a utilitarian purpose it's not just for performance we sing because we grieve or because we have joy we cook food like to nourish ourselves and to like remember the things that are the foods and the stories that were associated with these these fruits and these vegetables we dance to remember stories of the people that came before us. I feel like connecting myself to that, those roots, that truth of the origin of all of these, like these materials and these practices is kind of what is at least beginning to like help me step outside of like, of the lens of creating in this like institutional kind of like colonized way, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that you brought in this idea of performance in general, because there's been a lot of, I think, growth in awareness around or self-awareness around, am I doing this or that in a performative way? And if so, why? I've had an interesting process around that word because I went to school for visual arts, but 
as a child, my greatest expression was in performing arts. And it was really a choice to go to college for one thing and not the other. And that really radically changed my identity and my life and the way people see me and what they want to receive from me and what they don't want to receive from me. And to kind of say, okay, this is what it looks like for me to be tithing a certain percentage of my creative energy to making sure I'm performing the thing that I'm also just living and I'm tired and my joints hurt. And maybe that's why, you know, that I'm like, what is it that causes me to feel that I need to do that in order to stay safe, that I need to like make sure that I'm always performing the thing well or the way that's expected in addition to doing the thing. But then within that also kind of owning like, when the intention is to scratch the itch that is what can only be expressed in me through performance, I do love that too. So that's like perhaps why I'm suited to do certain work like in the online space that other people who do the same work as me in real life are not being called upon to do it also in the online space because I do have an actual enjoyment of performance. So it's just a really fine line for me to be mindful of whether I'm performing because I, I want to express something that is best expressed through performance and performance art, like everything I'm doing as an educational, entertaining performance art project like that works for me sometimes, but you know, then I need to not be at work sometimes and I need to not be making art or creating or whatever. And so just kind of like dancing with that word a little bit. I like that you brought it in to this dance. I know for me, I think the idea is like, is being able to have a choice, right? Like, so can it be performance or can it be ceremony? And sometimes it can be both at the same time, but knowing like having the choice that it can be performance, but it can also be ceremony and like for ceremony's sake and not feeling yeah, like and having to- access to the ceremony for ceremony's sake, having the the space and time to create because it we need to and not have to feed all of that into the machine that hungers for yeah. content. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the sake of staying visible. And I feel like this is something that for me, when I was finishing my my degree in like in counseling and expressive arts therapy, this was something that I like I got to learn in that process, which is like the difference between process and product and honoring that we can create just to be in the process of creating. And that can be as equally nourishing and important as like having content to share or to show at the end of it. That feels like an important, that feels like an important thread to be able to hold on to. I often, I see, I've seen it in myself and I feel like I see it in a lot of other artists and as well on social media, which is that like, once people start getting visibility or like are paid for something and what they create is tied to economy, although on the surface it can seem like that's an opportunity and and like impossibility can also create like a lot of obstructions and like Mm -hmm. in the creative flow and process. And it's like, can I make them something that I think is ugly? And just dedicate time to that or like something Mm -hmm. that people aren't going to like. And so it's, yeah, it's like it's creation as ritual 
And I think less and less is there space and time that we kind of allow ourselves for that. I used to do like creative business coaching when I first was sort of able to make a living pre-algorithm where I felt like I had learned something organically about how to share creative work. And I wanted other women specifically to like have that. Um, I, I was finding that very empowering and I wanted to share that empowerment. I would, when I was doing that kind of coaching, I found myself wanting to maybe deconstruct the goal of being fully supported by your art, because I just felt like, well, why? <laughs> because a lot of these women had part-time jobs or other things that they did for money that they didn't hate. And it was like, if you have something that doesn't take very much from you and can just pay your rent and pay your health insurance, like pay your big stuff, and you don't have to put that pressure on your art, I think that's a better bet. But then it's a little confusing for people because people will be like, but you don't have to do anything else. And so like, why are you advising me to do this thing that like I want or not do this thing that I want that you have? And it's like, you don't understand. <laughs> this is not like necessarily my dream to need to put all of my creations that I think are good into this machine. I have to, because I'm disabled. I cannot go to work. And I have had to go to work stand on a, a tile floor, you know, with my nerves firing, like excruciating pain for years of my life. And I actually can no longer do it. Like I cannot stand for that many hours. I can't do the jobs that I have the experience to do. So I'm in a position where I feel, I guess, with all this big context that like, there's a prayer in my heart coming forward. That's like, mm -hmm. I really pray that being able to create without needing to commodify our every creation is available to everyone and is mm -hmm. not a luxury and is not something that is reserved for the very privileged that everybody finds that sweet spot and that balance where there's something that they are able to do in reciprocity that takes care of their basic needs for security and stability for their families, for food, for healthcare, so that our creativity can be free. And when we put things out there for the public, it's a choice. It's because that's what feels right and that's what we want to do. I almost felt like once I finished grad school that I was interested in psychology and like Jungian archetypes and mythology. It was something I was passionate about, but I think I also partially pursued it because I didn't my art is like my breath. My, my music mm -hmm. making is my breath. My writing is my breath. And I didn't want to put any, any more pressure on it. I found this feels like an important thing to talk about, which is like in the creative process, like the places where we get stuck. And I found that the places where I felt most stuck is when I felt like I had to generate something or where I was, I had a I had like a mechanism for like for judging what was worth being seen and what wasn't and how much that really like collapsed my ability to express in on itself. And so and so much of that is tied to to economy. So much of that is tied to money and to culture. And so I hear that prayer like and I, I honor that prayer and I really like I hold that 
I hold that with you. I feel like I've, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, but I, I personally like have gone through long periods of time of like not really being able to create. And whether that's through like personal grief or collective grief or like kind of just like a, a frozenness internally. And yeah, it's just something that's come up throughout like many times in my life, sometimes for long periods of time. It reminds me of there's, you probably, I'm sure you know her, Toko Pa Turner, the writer, she wrote a book called Belonging, but she just mm -hmm. talks about these like different kind of silences. Well, yeah, so she talks about these different kinds of silences and how like something where there's a silence that holds something that's sacred, but that can at some point kind of devolve into like a silence that is like insulating and like and restricting. And so I think about that with creativity. Sometimes it's like we're keeping something to ourselves because like we want to honor it and tend to it. And then holding on for too long can turn that into keeping something to ourselves and, and not being able to express it anymore. Mm -hmm. I was cleaning at one point after a lover had vacated a space and I saw that they left all these things that I had given them. And I had this moment where I felt like this is what spirit must feel like when they give us the gifts and they see us not using them and they see that we didn't integrate them into who we are outside of, of that moment of perceiving something. And so it comes to mind in this moment, thinking about the, that creativity can only be healthy within a cyclical reality and a rhythmic reality, because there are times when you need to protect new life and not go showing it to everyone. And then there are time in the womb. And then there are like times when if it stays in the womb, it dies and maybe you die too, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think it must be really difficult for people to be in their body and try to figure out what to do with their creative energy who are allegiant to linear time and prone to linear processes I just think god that that must be really impossible and yeah that's where <laughs> a lot of us are at yeah, yeah it's painful it's <laughs> I think it's definitely mm -hmm. painful yeah I think there can feel there can be a sense of just feeling like we're losing something or missing out on something because we're not able to like keep up or produce in the way that maybe other people are or companies are institutions so yeah mm. which in, in that sense it feels yeah. really important to like reorient ourselves to a kind of time and a sense of reality that is like maybe more enduring and like and more authentic and more true ccc <laughs> yes thank you yeah. speaking of time we do yeah. have to start <laughs> wrapping up but there was a piece I definitely wanted to touch on with you today. So we'll have that be our, our closing round of this ceremony. So as an art therapist, you know that you've worked with children and families who come from refugee communities and uh, have shared with me that you feel like you learned a lot about how we can create home when the homes that we come from can no longer hold us. So I would really love to hear just what some of those lessons have been and where you're calling home these days and how some of that work you've done with these communities influences how you're creating home for yourself today 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I there's that the saying that like you can only offer the medicine that you have. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm still I'm cultivating my medicine, and while I was in process with the child, mostly children, and like in some families that I was working with were primarily from Burma and from Guatemala and from Mexico. What I found is that. I was trying to share what I myself was grappling with. And although our circumstances were entirely different, I felt like I knew what it meant to feel like estranged from my body as a home. I knew what it meant to feel like estranged from my family as a home. I knew what it meant to grow up moving from state to state or house to house for most of my, like my childhood. They're not the same circumstances by any mean, but I think collectively many people can identify with what it means to seek refuge. And I was really appreciative. There's a somatic therapist, Linda Tai, who I, I really love. She's originally from Vietnam and escaped with her family like from Vietnam. And she talked about, this was something that inspired me in my work when I was working with these kids, which is that I guess being able to like excavate and like and extract the sentiment of like of what it means like to seek refuge. And she talks about seeking refuge from like your addictions and from abusive families. And that's something that many people can identify with. Uh, and it's something that I could identify with. So that was kind of like my foundation, I think, for beginning to try to understand, not even trying to understand, but trying to cultivate like a sense of like softness and awareness for who I was working with. In terms of like finding ways to cultivate home when maybe the countries that we like we live in are no longer safe or the families that we live in are no longer safe, like the geographical or like social or cultural terrain is not something that we can belong to anymore. I feel like some of the most profound work that I found really came through my work as a musician and like in voice work. And so this was something that I hadn't anticipated that I was going to be necessarily doing, but it really came through like through making music and finding home in home and acceptance in our voices. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like of a little girl that I worked with over a, a period of time of almost a year where our work was like creating songs about her homeland and finding ways to sing the things that she didn't feel like she had the capacity to talk about with her family. And there's something about the voice to me feels like such a profound way in cultivating a sense of home. It's something that like I feel like I experience when I'm chanting or like when I'm singing, when I'm drumming, energetically and physically, it brings a grounding presence to my body and my life. But there's also something in like in being able to, to accept. The voice is so immediate and such a direct extension of our bodies and like and being able to accept the voice and find beauty in it and find value and like an honor in it. I felt like there was something in the work that I was doing, particularly with this one girl, one little girl, that it it kind of creates like a pathway for self-acceptance. My sense was that the body has to be the first home 
because sometimes that's all that we have the capacity to control. And even there are times when we don't have control or autonomy over our own bodies, which is also true. So those are some of my beginning thoughts. It kind of meandered, but <laughs> I think it found a home there. Appreciated. What came to mind when you were talking is, you know, there's lots of different definitions of medicine, but one of mine definitely is when something helps me feel like I'm being who I really am inside my body, mm -hmm. <laughs> or the, the experience I'm having inside my body in this moment feels related and intimate with who I believe myself to be as a timeless being and what my highest values are. So I'm hearing that music and singing and playing instruments and being in that space with other people is potentially a, just a place of big medicine for you where you really feel you're embodying yourself and yeah. your medicine. Yeah, and I, I feel like it has the capacity to do that, like for other people, like other people in their own relationship to their voice, like and their and their bodies and and what they're creating from that. There's something really powerful there. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to just dip a toe into sharing that space together. Yeah. These past few months. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah. So where can people go to find out more about your work, past, present, and future? Mm, that's a really good question. I guess it depends on when this is coming out, but probably my website, which I'm working on right now, reworking on, mm. but zainacarlota.com is always a good place to start. You can also find me on all the regular places like Instagram, I haven't posted in a year and a half, but <laughs> I have plans to. <laughs> I like your style. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wonderful. And we will add those to the show notes so they're easy to find for people who want to stay connected because I do feel like that your creativity is potent and you take your time and that it has value to just stay in touch so that when the fruits are ready, we know about them. Yeah. My, my recommendation. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. And just a formal thank you to you, Zena, and all of the benevolent beings and all the realms who've gathered here today to inspire and direct the flow of this ritual conversation. We dedicate any merits accumulated through this work to the benefit of all sentient beings that all beings be healthy, that all beings be well, and all beings know joy and not suffer. Jai Ma, blessed be, aho, koramayagit, hahom, thank you, merry meet, and merry part, and merry meet again. Thank you, Yaya. I'm deeply grateful mm. to be invited to this conversation, and 
Thank you to everyone who's listening. Blessings. to hear us talk more about cultivating home when the countries or families we live in are no longer safe, you can click the Library of Earth Magic link in our show notes today to explore our ever-growing collection of green magic resources over on Patreon. This is where you can find all those gut-health-friendly treats recipes we talk about over on Instagram, bonus episodes with our guests, as well as hundreds of other skill shares, workshops, patrons-only merchandise, and access to our seasonal live Q&A fellowship circles. As always, thank you for listening. It's a pleasure getting well with you. Mm-hmm.